Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to Theology-ish. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. Howdy. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you? I am about fine as frog hair split three ways, Mm. as the old saying goes. I'm sure you've heard many people say that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Several, at least. The look in your eyes is telling me that's a lie, and (laughs) lying's a sin. Ah, you're right. Uh. Yeah. Uh, My bad. Welcome back to this. Today, we are going to be doing a part two of the episode that you did with Matthew Goliath. Hello. Who's with us again today. So we're going to be doing part two. Part one, I wasn't here because I was uh, knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door with a terrible flu, but I have mostly recovered. I am back now, so we're going to... Talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, and you can uh, interject on all the stuff that you didn't get a chance to last time. Yeah, so there, there were a couple things from the first episode that I wanted to uh, offer some some thoughts and a little bit of clarity on. So in the first episode, when you talk about uh, origin of Alexandria, you said that he read the Bible allegorically. Yes. And while it's true that origin of Alexandria did read the Bible allegorically, that doesn't mean he didn't also read it as a literal historical document. The pastor at your local church probably does the exact same thing that Origen would often do, where the pastor at your church talks about David and Goliath, and he says, just as David killed the giant— In his life, with the help of God, you can kill the giant in yours. I'm sure you've heard that sermon a time or two. That's what Origen was doing. Sometimes he took it a little bit far, but just because he was doing allegory stuff doesn't mean he wasn't also reading it literally to a point, you know. So I just wanted to point that out. Be fair to Origen, because he's my boy. Yeah. And the second thing I wanted to point out, when you talk about in Genesis, the first episode, and how... uh, it talks about God making mankind in his image and likeness. Yes. Uh, you talked about the likeness being like maybe the the way we look like, and are and are shaped and physical what type, appearance. Physical appearance yeah. and how that might factor into like evolution or whatever. Um, the church historically, the patristic authors, when they read that mankind was made in the image and likeness of God. So they read that as a Trinitarian passage actually. Really? Yeah, so the image is like Jesus, right? So you have the son who's the cuz Jesus is what what shape is Jesus? Man, man. shape. Yeah. <laughs> cuz he's a man. Man shape. Right? And shaped God. like a guy. Yeah, he's shaped like a guy. So that's the image and the likeness they read is like the way the Holy Spirit is, right? So like the fruits of the Spirit, or the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. Right, singular fruit. Uh, so we've got that, and we've got the, so we've got the image, which we all have, and the likeness, which is kind of uh, 
lost at the fall. Okay. When they partake of the fruit, they their eyes are open to good and evil, and mankind falls, and then they. So all humans maintain the image of God, but only the Christian, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, gets the likeness of God back and puts us back to a an almost pre-fallen state, which is a really interesting thing that patristic authors get into. Mm. So is... I just wanted to throw that out there because I think that that's a really interesting train of thought. Yeah, I it has a lot of implications in talking say, about evolution and stuff. I can't say I've ever heard it interpreted that way before. That's I, interesting. I 100% believe that because people don't usually talk about it that way. Anyway, yeah. Matthew, thank you for joining us. <laughs> of course. Yeah, pleasure well, to be what back. Are, what are your back? thoughts on that, Matt? On that right there? Yeah, on that right there. Uh, yeah, that was, I, I hadn't heard that before either. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Because... You said image and likeness where image was... Um, image like, was like the shape of man. Shape of man. Jesus is the shape of a man. My, my only question was is, I guess, a, a deeper theological question that I didn't... I don't know off the top of my head, but like... Like is, pre-incarnate Christ? Right. Is is God the Son always in the shape of a man or always a man? Oh, so... Uh, Especially at creation, I think that there are a couple ways to tackle that. One would be the eternality of God. Therefore, everything he does is outside of time. So from God's perspective, you know, the book of Revelation tells us the lamb slain from the foundations of the world, who is Christ. So if he's slain from the foundations of the world, is he ever reincarnate? Is he? Can he be? Is there a time before the cross if there is not time for Christ? So that's something to scratch your head over. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Another way to to think of that is uh, the three distinct persons of the Trinity. Perhaps human image, man-shapedness is a thing that is unique to the second person of the Trinity, and therefore humankind was made after that, right? So it's not that the second person of the Trinity becomes this thing. It's that he was always like that, and we have been made like that thing. You follow? I I follow. So those are a couple ways to poke at that, but that's not exactly where we're going today. So, right. Well, uh, so it's like food for thought. Yes, food for thought for sure. Yes. So we're gonna take an immediate left turn. <laughs> yeah. And I'm gonna shut up for a second and let you guys get back into the conversation that you had to cut off last time, and then we can get rolling because you had specific things you wanted to talk about. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I had some. I had some notes. Uh, yeah. So let's, some- let's get it. Well, you're the boss. Uh, let's let's start wherever you want to start and go from there. The boss. You're the one with the Our notes. Distinguished guest. Goodness gracious! All right. Um, I most of the arguments that I found um, were based on scripture. So we talked a lot on last po- the last episode about um, like some scientific arguments. We like mentioned a couple things i i wouldn't say we yeah carbon dating is stupid we got into that yeah you, <laughs> you you said that and i 
Yeah. Anyway, remember well, well, uh, when rocks undergo metamorphosis, which is a thing that happens when rocks go through volcanoes. Their carbon clock is supposed to be set back to zero. Mm. So when you have a lava flow or whatever, if you take a sample from that lava flow, it should come back as the age that the lava flow is because that's what happens when a rock undergoes metamorphosis, right? I learned this in the geology class I took in college. Mm. But, so, you know, when you do science, you need a, a control group, right? So if we want to get a control group for carbon dating, we would have to take a rock that we know the age of and then carbon date it, right? Yeah. Well, when they have done that with rocks from Mount St. Helens or lava flows in Hawaii or what have you, it's come back hundreds of thousands or even sometimes millions of years old. When we know the age of it and it's three months. So... Carbon dating can get – as you pointed out, it can get yeah. contaminated super easy. So I'm not sure in those cases maybe they had like some really old dirt on the thing right. or whatever. But that that is a thing to think about and to scratch your chin on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. And my, my only comment that we didn't um, kind of address last time was the um, – like the the sheer amount that they have that they have carbon dated to different times, like it, and and I, admittedly, I didn't I didn't do a ton of research on on carbon dating in between podcasts, but I didn't do worry. any research. Me either, right? Um, but like my my thought, just thinking about it, was like, well, if if they've if they have like hundreds of samples that all carbon date to similar time frames then like statistically that would just ma- making them all faulty in in a in that same way would be um just statistically unlikely but unless it was set up in a way that was if they were consistently testing it if they were using the same method every time yeah and get it get wrong in the way they were setting it up every time. Yeah. Then you know, you might end up with. Yeah. Well, we're not here know. to talk right. about uh, anyway, carbon dating, yeah, so right. we'll move uh, on to something let's else. Pivot to uh, scripture. To maneuvers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk about um, kind of so one of the one of the arguments that um, I've seen for. Uh, young earth creationism is or or just the idea that the Genesis one account is talking about God um, creating everything from nothing is some, some um, theistic evolutionists or actually saw a website recently that was like, Hey, I don't want to use the term theistic evolution. I want to use evolutionary creationism because it puts the emphasis on creation. And that's what is really the focus is that God is the creator. And I don't know. I thought that was interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's a really important thing for Christian theology that uh, God made things. Yes. Um, it's part of the creeds. Yes. That we believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. Like, mm-hmm. If. You take that away from God, then we we get because I, I I've heard some people that have like uh, 
almost like matter was already there. Yeah. And God started doing stuff with the pre-existent matter. And that, that, mm, that no, that no, that, that doesn't work. That doesn't check out. That doesn't check out theologically for the Christian for right. reasons that we won't get into today. Um, but like, so not that, but some, some, um, Christians, like actual Christians do believe that the Genesis one account is talking about matter and, and God kind of rearranging it, but where it, it just doesn't necessarily mention that God kind of set things into motion beforehand and then is, is going into this, um, after like, I don't know, like the big bang million or billions of years ago or whatever. Um, have you come across anything? So if you read Genesis one, it's the word God, right? Which I think in Hebrew is Elohim. So we've got Elohim throughout Genesis one. Yeah. And then when we get to chapter 2, verse 4, it switches from Elohim to uh, the Tetragrammatron, right? So the, the yeah. inutterable name of God, which is translated in your English Bible, says LORD in all caps. Right. And it becomes LORD God, so it would be the Tetragrammatron Elohim. Yes. Right. So have you encountered anyone that's like, oh, maybe Moses is like, you know, kind of taken – creation stories he's saying yeah gods it was made and then the lord god our our real god kind of yeah is doing all so this he's, stuff. Yeah, he's I, like doing a preface you know and then he comes in with something else that's like th- th- here's where it gets real important yeah and it's like yeah who, who cares uh, the things were made by the gods or god or whatever and then we've got the lord god the lord god have you have you encountered that at all? I haven't. No one pointing no. that out. No, that's interesting. I don't think that. Yeah, I, I haven't encountered that at all. I don't. I don't know. If that when we get to means. chapter two, verse four, it's uh, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, no herb of the field had yet sprung up. So we kind of finish the creation account in chapter one, and then we go back to before things are finished being made. Mm-hmm. And that's weird. We kind of end up with two creation accounts. Right. One with chapter one and one with chapter two. Yeah. Where chapter two would have what, like taken place during day six, I guess. Or just or, generally. So like, anyway, yeah. Uh, the Ken Ham school of thought with the creation museum is like, Oh, well chapter two is just, uh, a more detailed account. Yeah. It's going into the specifics. It's going into of, the specifics. So we get the, the general stuff in chapter one, and then we get chapter two, which is more detailed. But I don't know. I just wanted to point that out. Cause yeah. it's. I, it, I mean, it is interesting because it's, it's – yeah, it's a, it's a weird literary thing where it's, it is it is Elohim, and then it's – yeah. What you doing there, Moses? Why mm-hmm. why you uh, – why you doing it you like that? Maybe – what happened is that Moses drafted the first chapter and then went back and said, I can do it better. So then he wrote chapter two. And then when they compiled all his works, they were like, let's just put them both in there. Why oh, not? I don't think that's what happened oh, at all. okay. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Uh, Fair enough. Especially considering it's, you know, the holy inspired scripture of <laughs> word of God. And yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. Uh, something I wanted to point out about verse one. I had a, I had a, 
like something about the a word in verse one last time, but now I'm on a different word in verse one. Still in verse one. Um, the word for create, uh, Hebrew word uh, bara, something like that. I'm not going to pretend to pr- I'm pronouncing it correctly, but that, that Hebrew word, um, some like young earth creationists will point to that and be like, well, that, that like clearly means God created, um, like out of nothing. Like he made something brand new out of nothing that had existed before. And this word is just one more evidence of that. Um, and I'm going to push back on that. Okay. Uh, it's, it's used in some other places in scripture where it just doesn't mean that at all. Or, well, you could argue, but like, I, 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 I see it as fruitless essentially. Um, the most, so, well, yeah. So the claim, the claim that young earth creations sometimes make is that this word means to create out of nothing. Um, if you go to Psalm 51, uh, verse 10, it says, uh, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That, that word create is, is the same word. Now I just going to pose this to, to you both. Do you think that that word, um, is implying creating out of nothing or is it kind of like a reforming, um, like a taking what exists and making it into like a, a more, a more refined version, a better version of itself. Forgive me for answering a question with a question. I'm, I'm going to. Okay. So the heart there. I don't know offhand, but I would bet you dollars to donuts that the Hebrew translates more literally to kidney. Okay. If you were to click on it on your, uh, what's the blue letter Bible is what I use yeah. a lot. What, what's our, our uh, logos is the U version app. Oh gosh. On Bible hub. What's the, the Psalm Bible again? Uh, 51 verse 10. I'll bet it's kidney. Okay. So according to this, I, I'm sorry. I was mistaken. Okay. <laughs> a new ruach, which is like wind or breath. So it's actually create a new a new life within me, like a new spirit within me, not a new... I want to be very clear about this. None of us know Hebrew. Well, there's, no, so there's, it's two words. It's, it's two things. Um, is it? It's, yeah, it's create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Oh, That's the ruach. shoot. You're right. Oh, I, William. I spirit. That's yeah. Spirit is is there. But. I I totally missed. I mean, clean I clean heart. Um, you are illiterate. Jeez. What's um no clean <laughs> clean heart is I I I think the word that you're thinking of. Yeah, that's, um, that's what I meant. I I the think the uh, lob. Yeah, I think that translates more literally to like kidney. Okay. Rather than heart. Read that somewhere, but uh, like now, how, what the word is and how it is used are sometimes a little bit yeah different. So I think that even though it's like create, I think in the context of at the start of things or when things got going, God created, I think when the Hebrew reader read that they would have, uh, 
surmised ex nihilo creation. You follow? I don't. What what I don't know what that means. Uh, out of nothing. They, okay. When they okay. read Genesis yeah, yeah, yeah. one yeah, in Hebrew, yeah, yeah. they would have, yep. even though those words on their own could be taken to be like when things got going. So basically, context clues. Yeah, context indicate. clues would clue them in that now, this is what it's talking about, not a literal kidney or the literal organ of the heart, but the center of the person. Yeah. Right here, here's another line of thought to take with this, which is. What we do know is that our oldest Greek translation of Scripture is older than our oldest Hebrew translation of Scripture. It's true. Including the Old Testament. Our oldest Greek is older than the oldest Hebrew. By a lot. So the the question becomes, when we're looking at words in English, might it be better to look at them in Greek instead of Hebrew because it is closer to when it was originally written? Not to say there's anything wrong with translating the Hebrew or anything, but it almost makes me wonder what does the Greek mean in that context and does it differ from the Hebrew in any way? Because the Greek is, technically speaking, older. Well, I've got the Greek here for you. Excellent. Yes, yeah. of course. I understood exactly zero of those words. Yeah, I, I understood about four of them. Uh, but <laughs> I, I assume it means something like in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, <laughs> I would assume. Something, something like that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's uh, some context clues for that, I think. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, you, you took Greek in college, William. Do it's you true. know what the Greek word for create is or how it is translated in Greek? Uh, I found, I found it. There, uh, yeah, hit us, William. You, you've yeah. got it pulled up, or uh, Matt. Sorry, who? <laughs> Look, I'm used to doing this with William. Uh, if you've got it pulled up, sure. Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm not going to be able to pronounce it That's well, fine. but it's like the po- poyo, poyo, poyemo, or poema, or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah. The, that's the one that's used in Genesis one one in the Septuagint as the. Yeah, as I'm, uh, I'm not sure what version of the Septuagint the Bible Hub app was giving me, yeah. but that verb was very notably not there. Oh, um, fair enough. So I'm... This is, this is, a uh, oh, this is, the, yeah, the, I, I'm, I'm looking at uh, Blue Litter Bible and that, that's, that's the word that they yeah, add. Because my question would be, is the Greek word for create in the context of the Greek scriptures, would that in the Greek imply created from nothing? So poemo is, or poema or whatever, it, it's like uh, if I had a basket that I had made, it would be yeah. my poema. It's the work of my hands, okay. right? It's a thing I made. Or if I weaved a garment, that's my poema. Or I made a piece of art. So it, it's... I don't think it necessarily has out of nothing baked into it. Okay. But, um, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But that, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't, I guess I didn't have that much more on, on that point. It was, it was basically that, um, the Hebrew word and, and the Psalm verse isn't, wasn't the only one I had pulled up. There was one that's like way more obvious. I just, <laughs> that, um, <laughs> It's, uh, what is it? Joshua, um, at least, and, and, you know, this, this could be not, not exactly the same, but it's, it's Joshua seventeen fifteen, 
And at least according to Blue Letter Bible, it's the same Hebrew word, um, which, you know, newer, but whatever. Yeah, and Um, and Joshua said to them, if you are a numerous people, go up to the forest and clear ground there for yourselves in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim. Rephaim. I can't speak old (laughs) names. Uh, Since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. The word clear as in clear ground, yeah, is the same word in, in is Hebrew. The same, is the same Hebrew word. Okay. So like, yeah, that that that's that was kind of my main my main point with that. It was just like it's to the to the younger creationists who go, it necessarily means create out of nothing. It doesn't. Now that doesn't. That's right. not to say that that is can't. not inherently implied. Yes, and that's and that's not to say it can't. Um, that's just a. That argument doesn't exactly make sense. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. just from how it's used in the that's, Bible, like that's easily that's refuted. fair enough. Um, yeah, I like so I I use Blue Letter Bible a lot, and there's a there's a um, a commentary that I like I like um, by David Guzik. Um, that's just free on Blue Letter Bible uh, that I, I look at a lot and. I was I was very sad that he said this exact thing and I was like, Oh that's not <laughs> that's not how that works though. Like <laughs> But but I, I, I can see the argument being made that like based on the context clues, like that that is what's being implied. Yeah. Or like at the very least for us as Christians, we can look to church tradition and see how church tradition has understood it, uh, because we're not uh Christianity is not based off of strict definitions of Hebrew words, mm-hmm. based off of church tradition and Holy Scripture and what Jesus taught his disciples. It's been handed down through apostolic succession. And the traditional Christian teaching has been that God made things from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, maybe... Maybe the Hebrew doesn't necessarily support that, and I'd be comfortable with that because my religion's not based off the strict definitions of individual Hebrew words. You know, it's based off something more than that. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm processing that that response right now. There's uh, a lot baked in there. Yeah, because it, it's I, like. Obviously, like my 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 faith isn't based on you know like definitions of Hebrew words, right? And my immediate like kind of gut reaction to that is is yeah, but it's like my my faith is still based on scripture, yeah, and yeah. and and you know as a as a Protestant, sola scriptura, disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, I, as in, as in, uh, scripture. Yeah, scripture has the highest authority. Yeah, uh, and I, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not poo-pooing sola scriptura or anything like that. I, I'm just getting at that. Uh, I, I think that the traditional church teaching that God created the world ex nihilo out of nothing. Is is important theologically. Yes, and I do believe that that's true. Yeah, and um, and, and I'm not saying that Genesis one one 
I what what the point of of that discussion was that was to kind of introduce the idea that maybe Genesis one isn't talking about that creation, whereas yeah. like it could be the kind of reforming of things after he had already initially created all the matter and then is now just kind of rearranging it. I, I, I think that they would, they being church fathers and whatnot, they'd move on to verse two. The earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep. I, I think they'd go to that and they'd be like, see, it's formless and void. It's, that implies nothingness. I, I think they'd be getting the nothingness from the void in the following verse, not necessarily from the creation verb in the first verse. Does that uh, make sense? So like when you say like the nothingness, do you mean like that? The, the nihilo of ex nihilo, the, the nothing and out of nothing, I gotcha. think they're getting it from verse 2, not okay. verse 1. So, like, in, in Genesis 1, 1, what, what is God creating? The heavens and the earth, Matthew. <laughs> so, my, my question for you, that is, is what is what does that mean— Obviously, like I'm not, you're not going to know exactly. Like none of us know exactly how the creation of the world took place. We weren't there, um, but like without form and void, is it just he made a he made a big rock, and then the heavens? What is what does that mean? Uh, I don't know, man. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. I, my knee jerk reaction is to say that he like. He made all of the matter that there would be, right? Okay. And perhaps he he uh, hit it with a very large divine hammer, and it splattered all over. And he was like, sweet, we've got the makings for the universe here. And it's formless and void. And There's then- no specifics, it's just... Blank matter all over the place. B- bunch of bunch of protons and and yeah, like he just made a works and a big ball of chemistry. And then and then days one through six are just him setting it in order, rearranging it. Yeah, all. yeah. And it's like not even that far from kind of the argument that I was yeah, I was that, placing that's for. yeah, pretty much <laughs> what you were getting at. I, I just wanted to but emphasize the that's how you yeah. out of nothing. Also, part. get people who kind of run into the idea that. Boom, divine hammer, matter everywhere, big boom, and then over billions of years or whatever, the six days act or the seven days actually account for millions and billions of years or whatever. And that's how God did creation, right? That that can lead into that line of thought. Yeah. Because yeah. it I'm not going to say it's heresy to say that God made like, you know, the big bang happen and evolution and stuff. I can absolutely understand where that line of thought comes from. I don't think that's in itself heretical. I do think it's wrong personally, but mm. I, I don't know. Like if that's how God did it, that's how he did it. You know, that who am I to argue if that were the case? Um, I just don't know that that is the clearest understanding of the way that scripture presents it to us. Yeah. If, if that makes sense. That's fair. 
I think uh, just putting a, a, a slight pin in that, there's some other things geologically that could be taken to suggest a younger Earth than what mainstream folks say. And that's not to say necessarily 6,000 years exactly, which is mm-hmm. what the young Earth creationist will almost unanimously say. It's, just, it's such a... So specific. It's so specific. It's so specific. Number. It's like it has to be at least 6,000 years. Yeah. And they they always they always just say 6,000 years. I don't... They, they, they get it from the genealogies in Genesis Ooh, if you I, I did want to ask you this since you weren't here last time. How did you feel about Cyprian of Carthage? Um, Cyprian. Cyprian. Um, or not Cyprian, who was it? The other guy. I can't remember who it was I quoted. The Irenaeus? I don't think it was Irenaeus. It was one of the others. Uh, Theophilus. Theophilus. It was Theophilus who... Of Antioch or Alexandria or Carthage or... I can't remember, man. It Jerusalem. was one of them. But he, he had like a very specific date that the number of the days up to his time yeah, numbered yeah, like yeah, 6,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. some odd years, so, which today would put us closer if we were to take that line of thought to 8,000 years for young earth theory. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Because I wanted to ask you about that specifically since you weren't fine. here. He, he just did the same thing that modern young earth creationists do, and he adds up all the uh, begats and everything through Genesis and up through Chronicles and all that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, taking all this, all these things together gives us about this much amount of time. Um, and he was probably calculating off like phases of the moon or something like, uh, Hippolytus of Rome does. Yeah. We, we talked about in yeah. the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's fine. It's cool. Okay. Yeah. But I, I, I just wasn't sure that, if you had like any other context on no, how he I, got that I, number or. I'm only tangentially interested in this topic to begin with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, because I. Growing up, we we were uh, – my family was real big into this kind of thing. Dad was real big into the Young Earth uh, creationist apologetics, and we took more than one vacations specifically to the Creation Museum. Oh, there. man. I've been there. Yeah. I've been there once. I, I went there uh, not terribly long ago with my wife because I was like, we got to go check it out. Uh, there are some things that are better arguments than others. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, if you talk to someone that thinks that the earth is very, very, very old and you ask them about the Grand Canyon, they will tell you that it took X amount of millions of years for that thing to form. Mm-hmm. Uh, a good scientist will also tell you that the present is the key to the past, right? Because, you know, you have to be able to observe a thing to infer information from it. Mm-hmm. So we can't watch a canyon form over several million years, but we have seen some canyons form. There's the Little Grand Canyon in Georgia that was in part caused by the Dust Bowl of the 1930s, and it's it's a deep hole. It's big, and it formed over like less than a decade because all the plants were dead, so the erosion got really, really bad. And it made this giant gorge over a very short period of time. When Mount St. Helens erupted, there was a natural dam with a lake that burst, and it created a canyon, a very big canyon, very very big gorge, and it did it very, very quickly. There was a dam in China that broke not terribly long ago. Um, I think it was on the Yangtze River. And it 
broke. And when it broke, a whole lot of water washed away a whole lot of land. And it made a camp, a very big gorge, very, very quickly. So all the gorges and canyons that we have seen form, formed almost overnight. So why is it that when it comes to the Grand Canyon, we look at that thing and we go, well, this could only happen over millions of years. Well, could it? Are you sure? Because by golly, all the ones we've seen have been really freaking fast. And that's that's something that's not nothing to think about. That's kind of something that I brought up in the last episode, too. That's that's part of the issue that I take with, like, the evolution idea, right? Is like, you can't show me evolution because you're claiming it takes millions and millions of years. You can show me microevolution and see the the small changes in, you know, breeds of dogs and things like that, but a dog is still a dog, right? Mm-hmm. We haven't seen a dog turn into something that's not a dog. At, at some point, we need something that is definitively a horse to give birth to something that definitively exactly. isn't. Exactly, and that's my thing. It's kind of like the same thing with the Grand Canyon. You can tell me it takes millions and millions of years, but you can't show it to me. And like, and if you can't show it fair to enough. me— Fair enough. I don't expect you to show me the thing that takes millions and millions of years, but the things that we have seen haven't taken that long. Again, with like stalactites and stalagmites in caves, stalactites being the ones on the ceiling, stalagmites the one on the floor, Mm -hmm. they're supposed to take a really, really, really long time to form. Fair enough. And there's a stalactite somewhere in New Mexico, I believe, that's encased a bat because it formed so quickly that a bat that was roosting on it at night, taking a little bat nap, got caught. Huh. And the stalactite that's supposed to take a million years to form went and encased the entire bat before it could rot. That's interesting. There is a stalagmite in China that I'm aware of that grew over a can of Coke. The things that are supposed to happen very, very slowly, the ones that we've seen have happened very, very fast. And I'm not saying that that's like checkmate atheists. Therefore, nothing can happen slowly. I'm just saying like, hey, man, some of the stuff happens more faster than the mainstream tells me it should happen. And that's enough for me to stroke my chin a little bit and go, hmm, interesting. I'm not about to hang my hat on it and say, therefore, the earth is 6,000 years old. But uh, let's take everything that we've got here and go, hmm. That's yeah. odd. Yeah, it, you know? it it it's enough to to question, um, like the you know the I want to say mainstream science, but like the 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 big wigs in Washington that want to tell you how old the Earth is. Right. The it's it's enough to to the Illuminati doubt in the um, yeah. yeah 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 it's enough to sow doubt for sure. And like what you were saying, Ryan. So Darwin, this uh second cousin lover as he was because uh, he was married to it actually i, I think he was married know to his that. first cousin i did not realize that was so, a fact about darwin <laughs> sweet home alabama darwin he goes off on a trip to the galapagos and he notices that the finch population has different shaped beaks fair enough they they sure do have different shaped beaks and some of the beaks are better suited for eating seeds and some of the beaks are better suited for eating berries and some of the seeds are better suited for Some of the beaks are better suited for, like, eating nuts. And he surmises that when there are a lot of berries, the ones with the berry-eating beaks, there's a whole lot of them. And then when there's only nuts to eat, 
the nut beaks, there's a whole lot of them. Fair enough. That makes sense. I don't know if that's enough for us to say that a, a slime lizard thing somehow ended up becoming people things. You know, is weird shaped beaks enough? That's what you're going to bank it on? Not to be fair, I yeah, do think there's a little more nuance than that that right. uh, Darwin and other like minds got into. Yeah, I mean, but. like, so there was a case not terribly long ago of this forest fire that happened, right? And the scientists noted that the population of field mice that lived in this forest that are usually brown are all of a sudden becoming gray because all the ones with the brown fur stand out on the ashen landscape. So the ones with gray fur are less likely to get predated on by hawks and foxes and stuff. So the gray mices become the majority of the mices. And then, as the forest starts to bounce back from the forest fire, the mices stop being gray and start being brown again because the ones that are brown are able to blend in with the foliage better and get eaten less. And the science people will point at the, this just like Darwin's finches and go, see, this is evolution. Okay, sure, I'm comfortable calling it that, but is different colored mices, is that enough? Uh, is that uh, evidence for single-cell organism to human people? Is that enough for molecule to man? I, and... I don't know that it is. I'm sure a, a science man would tell me I'm not understanding something, and maybe I'm not, but I, I don't know, man. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I saw something about uh, the the bat in the stalag yeah. stalactite. Was that a hoax? Don't tell me that was a hoax. Or I think it was a it was a stalagmite. Was it a stalagmite? I thought it was a stalactite. Is, is, is what, at least the one I'm looking at right now is, is a stalagmite. Might and it's okay. not like a whole bat. Okay, it looks like it'd be bat jerky, like <laughs> delicious. Yeah, um, my favorite snack. No, I mean like it's 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 got bat matter in it, but it's it's not. It's not like a whole bat. It's not like a whole bat. Mm. Um, I wonder if there are any instances of like a whole bat. I was trying to I was trying to see if I could find something like that. that but that's my bad, guys. My bat. <laughs> if it's not you come a, up with that all by yourself? <laughs> I did just now. If it's not a whole bat, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to uh, yeah, I think misinform. Yeah, you out here with the misinformation. We're going to uh, get you know, canceled <laughs> on X. My gosh. Be on X? Not yet. I don't want to be on X. I don't either. It's like... I don't want to okay, get muscle okay, okay, Sorry, sorry. It, it's... It, I think it is a whole bat, but hey. it's, it's, it's not... It's not like it has, like... Fur on it or anything. It, it's it's it more like a like a mummified bat yeah, encased yeah. in one. Yeah, it's it's okay. it's basically a mummified bat. Still, Still. It, it is faster than the bat could decay. Which in a cave, granted, it's a good place to get mummified and not decay. Right. I mean, that would be like I don't I don't know if it's would it be like fossilized technically or I don't I don't think it's. I don't I'm think it would be. Even, I'm not even close to I don't know. this field of study. Let's, so yeah, let's God. let's keep <laughs> yeah, trucking along here. Um, yeah. <laughs> what else did you have? What did you want to touch on? Um, I wanted to mention uh, Jeremiah four twenty three through twenty six. Okay. Uh, which references the creation story. Um, 
and we can look at like you four. said four twenty through through twenty three through twenty six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it says, uh, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void, uh, and to the heavens and I looked, sorry, I'll start over. I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void and to the heavens and they had no light. I looked on the mountains and behold, they were quaking and to the, and all the hills to and fro moved to and fro. I looked and behold, there was no man and all the birds of the air had fled. I looked and behold, the fruitful land was a desert and all its cities were laid in ruin before the Lord, before its fierce anger. Um, I, I guess, so like this is a essentially a, a warning. Um, if you look at some of the context, or to um, uh, Judah, I believe. Yeah. Um, where I guess the, the main point that um, some... Theistic evolutionists will take from this passage is that he 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 uses the without form and void um, like directly directly calling back to um, Genesis one verse two um, uh, he's using it in a sort of metaphorical sense like it it's he's not literally like the earth is just like there's there's Literally nothing is is the is the idea that that some people would now make from this. My translation says something just a little bit different. Okay, uh, and I'm not sure that this has any large implications or impact on the the meaning of the verse itself. But uh, in the NRSV, it says, "I looked on the earth, and lo, it was waste and void." Whereas in the NRSV, in Genesis one and two, it does say, "without form." Yeah, but here it's saying waste, so I don't know if that's just a translation choice by the NRSV, I, I, I think, or if it's actually a different word that's being used. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think Jeremiah is using Genesis to interpret his vision, but I don't think we should use Jeremiah's vision to interpret Genesis. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I get that. Sure. Yeah, so I, I think that. That would be a, a mistreatment of it to use Jeremiah to interpret Genesis. It's 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 not even necessarily an interpretation. It's it's just saying that um, the kind of like what you the the idea that you could take from this is is that there there is a there is a chance <laughs> there's a chance that um, so you're saying there's a chance so there's, there's a chance um, there's there's at least a possibility that um, it could have it could have been figurative in, in both circumstances. Yeah, and and like it's not it's it's not it's clearly not a proof text, um, or to say like oh well because it's used fig figuratively here it's it has to be in Genesis also. Sorry, um, my train of thoughts. Just derailed. That happens to us a lot too. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but we, we we can abandon that train if yeah, you like. We'll just we'll just hop. Just on let's jump off that I've train got, and okay, get on another. I, got, I, I was I was I was going through point by point of my notes, and then I I, I sc scrolled down and I realized that I have a much 
a much uh, more interesting point. Oh, sweet. I love interesting points. Yeah. So, um, verse Genesis one twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, God bless them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What do you guys think uh, the word subdue is meaning in that verse? I could be totally wrong about this, but my, my first thought is like to tame the earth to to subjugate it almost, you know, yeah. till the land, make crops, make homes on it, do, do what you will with it for my glory. Right. Yeah. That, that's my first thought. Um, Milton in paradise lost has this idea that the point of Adam and Eve having dominion is for them to make everything like the garden. So mm. God starts them off with garden of Eden and then he gives them this task to make everything else paradise, mm. make it all like the garden. Gotcha. Um, and I think that whilst Milton might not be the the pinnacle of exegesis, I, I think he's on to something there. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go with that. I'm going to say what Milton said. Gotcha. The, so what to is, make everything the garden. So what does that imply about? God's creation as a whole, because if like, as, as in why, why didn't God, if, if God supposedly created everything to be exactly perfect, um, what, what is this like, why, why does he have, um, you know, man, man, uh, give, given this task to, um, essentially make, Make the rest of creation better. I feel pretty comfortable answering this one, actually. Okay. Which is the entirety of creation itself was cursed through the sin of Adam. But not before Genesis one twenty eight. Is this... This is... Am I getting my wires is, crossed? Is this before the fall? Yes, this is the creation. Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. Okay. Uh, Ignore that, then. That was, uh, that was bad. What... Was man made for? Uh, well, I believe to, um, like glorify God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, I I think uh, it's Augustine that says that the end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think is a pretty good, pretty good crack at it. Um. I think that, and, and you know, there's only so much in the first two, three chapters of Genesis that mm. tells us explicitly what happened. It, so on some level, we have to get speculative if we really start digging into these things. Mm. All right. And I'm going to hold the things that I'm about to say with an open hand. All right. Adam and Eve as they were created, were not totally complete. Okay? Okay. They lacked a knowledge of good and evil, at the very least. And in so far as they lacked a knowledge of good and evil, they were lacking something. So they were not perfect. 
God is perfect. People are not. Okay? They were good. They were innocent. They were very good. But they were very good, but they, they were lacking at least that one thing. Okay? Is, is, but in, a, in attaining that one thing, they become worse. Yeah. Yes. So what – yeah, I'm, I'm confused by this. Let, let, this let, let, me, yeah, let me keep finish. going. Keep going. All right. Um, perhaps the garden and things were set up as a uh, a space for them to become more perfect at what they were. Okay. Okay. They always have the image of God, but perhaps for them to grow in the likeness of God. Okay. So because okay. they're made in the image and likeness, right? So they're going to grow in the likeness of God if they remain in the garden. And the serpent says, you want to be like God? Why don't you uh, jump the line? Be more like God more quickly instead of taking your time with it. Eat the fruit. And because they tried to become more like God out of order, they end up losing the likeness that they already had. You, you follow maybe? I, I'm, I'm following. Okay. So, okay. <laughs> and I, I just want to throw this out here as a caveat. Whatever the right thing to think about Genesis 1 through 6 is, that's what I think. Okay, there we go. Now, <laughs> we'll continue. It's that easy. What, whatever the right thing is to think, I will capitulate so fast. Yeah. Wouldn't take a Nerf bullet for this. I'm yeah. <laughs> whatever the right thing is. Gotcha. That's what I think. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my my what was I going to say? Is, is like a response to that because I I think there's yeah that's that's interesting because because you you said something about like growing like almost like more into perfection and, into the likeness of into God. the likeness of God um, um, specifically within the garden. Yeah, I I think that Adam and Eve. Were good. Okay. Very good. But they were lacking certain things. Yeah, yeah. Um, because only God is not lacking anything, yeah. right? He, he made them finite. Right. By nature, they were finite. And by their sin, their finiteness, which could have been a blessing, becomes... A curse. Death becomes finiteness, gone sour. Mm. They're finite and therefore lacking certain perfections. And perhaps within the garden, as they walk with God and talk with God, they would increase in what we Christians in Protestant circles sometimes call sanctification or in Eastern Orthodox circles sometimes call uh, theosis where you become more like the kind of thing that God is. Tracking? Yeah. Yeah, and they could have done that perhaps even more easily within the garden without having fallen. Yeah. But then they fall and then it becomes It's almost more- uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it almost sounds like you're you're getting at the idea that they traded one perfection for another. It's now we have the knowledge of good and evil. 
like God does. Or, but no. now we are lacking the capacity to to walk with God in the way we did before. Yeah, the, correct the, me if I'm wrong about that, but that sounds like what I, you're I wouldn't into. use the word perfection. Mm. They traded a capacity to grow in the likeness of God mm. or a stamp of being more like God in this particular way, but losing that path to increase in likeness. Mm. Okay. Okay. If that, I, yeah, I see where you're I, getting. And I know this is esoteric, man. I, I <laughs> well, like, I, I feel like this is a more of a, a tangent to my original question, which was about the, the command to subdue the earth. Um, yes. <laughs> so like, yeah back back to that question of like if if god so so the reason i i i asked um why uh or if if you said that like to grow in that likeness within the garden is because earlier we were talking about how the command to fill the earth and subdue it yeah. is, is outside of the garden you, so. you got me there man <laughs> i i had an internal inconsistency let me clarify okay if they were to expand the borders of the garden, which is what Milton seems to think okay. in Paradise Lost. As they expand the borders of the garden, okay. subduing the earth and exercising dominion in the way that God wants them to, they would grow in the likeness of God. Okay, so the garden and, is, is essentially just growing and becoming yeah, the whole Yeah, the garden's growing and becoming more, and the whole earth becomes what it is. Okay. Um, which is kind of... Uh, Consistent with a Christian eschatology where we have the new heaven and the new earth and everything. In, yeah. Instead of it being the new heaven and the new earth, it would have been the old heaven and the old earth completed. Okay. Had they done what they were supposed to. Gotcha. And because they didn't, now we need a new one. Gotcha. Because they screwed this one up. Okay. Thanks, Adam. Go for it, Ryan. I know you had a quote out of Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton you wanted to to point out, William, Did. if we want to get into that. Um, this has to do with uh, evolution specifically. Um, then we'll get back to more of, more of your notes. A, a pinky promise. Yeah. So this <laughs> is uh, chapter three of Orthodoxy. G.K. Chesterton says, Evolution is a good example of that modern intelligence which— if it destroys anything, destroys itself. Evolution is either an innocent scientific theory, descript, scientific description of how a certain earthly thing came about, or if it is anything more than this, it is attack, an attack upon thought itself. If evolution destroys anything, it does not destroy religion, but rationalism. If evolution simply means that a positive thing called an ape turned very slowly into a positive thing called a man, then it is stingless for the most orthodox, for a personal god might just as well do things slowly as quickly, especially if, like the Christian god, he were outside of time. But if it means anything more, it means that there is no such thing as an ape to change, and no such thing as a man for him to change into. It means that there is no such thing as a thing, at best, there's only one thing, and that is flux of everything and anything. This is an attack not upon the faith, but upon the mind. You cannot think if there are no things to think about. You cannot think if you were not separate from the subject of thought. Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. The philosophic evolutionist reverses and negates the epigram. He says, 
I am not. Therefore, I cannot think. Thoughts thoughts on that? That is a lot. Wow. Yeah. Man. Chesterton so much. So like, you know, I'm I'm still working through heretics before I get into orthodoxy by Chesterton. Oh yeah. And it's been a slow process, not because it's bad, but because I mean, you read a paragraph is, like that and you sit with it for 30 minutes thinking about what the heck you just read. That's what I'm having. I'm sitting through I'm like, what does that even mean? So, oh gosh. Holy cow. Cuz you brought it up. Can you break it down for us, William? Yeah, you want to give us your thoughts first. Down the, the <laughs> okay. argument, the line of the line of tra- the line of yeah. So reason here. If there is a mouse, okay, and that mouse goes from being a mouse with brown fur to a mouse with gray fur, it's all well and good. If that mouse with gray fur somehow along the line becomes a a grew. Why not? It's evolution. Sure. It's just as well for it to be a gray mouse as a brown mouse as a kangaroo, right? They're they're all one is not better than the other. One is more fit for an environment than the other, but that doesn't make it better. So wait, let me Yeah. So so <laughs> My, my understanding of of this um, right now, and and you you're, please correct me when I'm wrong, um, is that his argument is like evolution is a is a fine theory, but the the implications um, of it are like oh hold on. Are the implications of it would be that, um, like a man and every animal are equivocated, and the only thing that actually matters is the process, not even the the individual organisms themselves. It it like and I, I don't think I, I could be misconstruing that, but. It seemed um, like he was saying something similar to that. Something along those lines. Chesterton is kind of getting at the idea that um, it – unless there is a thing that is man, right, and this thing is man mm-hmm. – we we can only get that kind of thing from a like a religious perspective because if everything is anything and everything is everything else and it's all becoming something something doesn't exist yeah you you run into this bottleneck where you're going to uh or not you, because we're all fellas, but perhaps your wife will give birth to a thing that either is a man or it is not a man. But if it is not a man, it came from something that was, and there, so everything becomes the same as everything else, mm. and there's not this hardline distinction between... Or- Things. Whereas Christianity requires the distinction between man and animal. 
Um, yes. Yes. And yes. and that and that is one of the and man is above the animals, right? And that's uh, a l- higher than the animals and a, a little, little lower. lower than the angels. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, that I mean, I I get, I understand what he's getting at after after we dumbed it down a little bit. Chesterton <laughs> is so hard because he he'll say he'll just drop a bomb like that that you really need to spend a month thinking over. <laughs> yeah. It's a throwaway paragraph on See, page four. <laughs> unlike someone like C.S. Lewis, who's who's real good at English, and you can just read what he says and you know what he means, Chesterton's good at English too, but in a different way. He, he does the kind of English where you have to read it and then sit there and think about it for a while. Yeah, and like <laughs> you'll read Chesterton and you understand what he meant, but you're like, I have no idea how... To articulate this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different yeah. kind of English. He, he's so good, though. Yeah. yeah. I I feel like that's an interesting understanding of it, though. I'm, And that's, that's a fair point, because, like, at some point, way back when, something that wasn't a human had to give birth to a thing that was a human. And right. where do we draw the line of this is or is not a human? Yeah, and yeah. you know, an evolutionist would have that uh, that diagram of the the chimp that slowly stands up and becomes a guy holding a spear. You know that diagram. We've I, all seen it. Yes. Yeah. They would have a line somewhere around the time where he starts standing on two legs, and they're like, right here. That's where I draw the line. It's like, okay, but if you were looking at this thing and the thing right before it, how do you know? Yeah. And it's all well and good in a diagram, but at some point. Something's mom is a different kind of thing than it is, mm-hmm. and by golly, that's a weird. That's a weird thing. Yeah, we have to have a thing that isn't a human give birth to a thing that is, and the flip side of that is one day, a human out there is going to give birth to something that is also not a human. It's going to be an ubermensch of Nietzschean philosophy or something. I, I don't think the theistic evolution would accept the second premise you just said there. <laughs> but the the uh, regular evolutionist would have to. Because at some point you're going to... Evolution didn't stop because we reached humanity. Right. It's going to keep on trucking. So at some point we are going to give birth to things that aren't humans. And by golly, that has a lot of implications for ethics and... Mm. What yeah, not? and if you try to apply that to the theistic evolution line of thought, it then becomes, okay, are we as humans not special in the way that scripture has told us we are special for being humans? Well, I mean, of, of course a Christian believes that humans are above the yeah. above the animals. Um, yeah, so that does present an interesting issue if you if you follow the evolution line of thought of, okay, what does that mean for us if you apply that to the Christian worldview? Right. Um, I think, and, and this isn't like, yeah, I'm, I'm clearly no expert. Like, like, like you, t- you uh, both. Stop, right? no. Um, no. so like, kind. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, barely literate. You are, uh, about as educated and qualified as we are. So right. you might be more educated than us. Uh, I don't know about that. Oh, you've got more time in a theology program than us, but. Yeah, but like educated yeah. generally, you yeah. you have almost a math degree. It's true. Yeah, and theologians are terrible at math. They can't tell you the difference between three and one. 
Same. They, they get confused by that. So, mm. you know. <laughs> Numbers are hard, man. <laughs> Trinitarian joke. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, um, oh gosh, what was I going to say to that? Yeah. I think the, 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 theist, the, well, I'll say it this way. The, the evolutionary creationist would say that, um, humans are the, the pinnacle of creation and if God used evolution and creation, then they're also the pinnacle of evolution. Um, where this is, this is the peak. Um, and it doesn't get any better than this. You may right. not like it, you, but this is what peak performance looks like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, where, where humanity is, I mean, it is God's like God, God's masterpiece. Like, I mean, yeah. all of creation is, 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 was, was good when I, God created it, but like, Humanity stood out. Um, so the, the, the cutoff is hard. Like, uh, of yeah. course it is for, for the creation or the evolutionary creation. And I, I hate to uh, be that guy, but I'm going to go there. Hitler. Uh, <laughs> and we're there. Oh, I guess. If, uh, well, you know, if we have molecules of man evolution, either theistically or otherwise, um, there could be philosophically a kind of human that is more human than another kind of human. There could be another kind of human that is um, undermensch. And another kind that's ubermensch, one yes. that's and, underhuman and one that's overhuman. And, and that's <clears throat> I, I I disagree. <laughs> like as far as but, as far like, like the creationary evolution the not sorry, the 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 evolutionary creationists would, would clearly not say that. That like But cert- how do you not end up there if you have a good thing that's an ape, as Chesterton calls it? becomes a good thing that's a human somewhere in the middle is a thing that gives birth to a thing that is human and is not itself yeah i think that's essentially genesis 2 uh, elaborate for so me. like at least from the you know the the evolutionary creationist perspective uh genesis 2 would be a way of a way of describing essentially the the cutoff point of this is now a human. God is consecrating it as above creation. Um, and. But, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'll. I'll and then I'll every everything beyond that, that is also human. So when God consecrates it, he severs the the section of DNA that makes evolution happen. He's just like, no more evolution. You're not going to, you're not going to ever become more than you're not going to ever become. Well, think about it like, I mean, (laughs) there is, I'm aware of, uh, this like little like Island nation kind of deal. I forget where exactly it is, but it's somewhere in like the, you know, over by the Maldives or by uh, the the Philippines or something, something like that. And they're this this little island nation, basically, that live in the middle of the ocean. And the people that inhabit this island, who have been there for hundreds of years or whatever, their lungs 
have developed in such a way over time that they are, by happenstance of birth, naturally have the capacity to hold their breath for like tens of minutes at a time. Yeah, for like because they dive for food, you know, all day, every day. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that uh, if you you see pictures of the people that inhabit this island, they have like webbed hands and feet, like more than the the average person, right? So what is to stop a theistic evolutionist from saying that that is a better kind of human than the average human because they are better at holding their breath and swimming than most people? It, I mean, it'd be they, they're more suited for their environment. It's it's an argument for microevolution. Yeah, that that's our our gray mouse and coming back. There's still there's still people though, like it. It, it, but are they not "quote unquote" better people because they're just people that do things better than most people? They're people that live in like uh, very mountainous countries, like Nepal or whatever. Yeah, they they have uh, more efficient lungs that are able to extract more oxygen yeah. per liter of air than people from lowland areas, which is just interesting. Yeah. So what would what would stop someone from taking the approach that? Because of the existence of people with nuances in their physiology like that, that that makes them a higher form well, of I, humanity. I, I don't. I see what Matt's saying. I, I don't think this is a problem for the theistic ev- evolutionists or mm-hmm. uh, creation, creation, uh, evolutionary creationism. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. Either, either I, I don't see how that would necessarily be a problem for them because they're still uh, interjecting divine providence and souls and stuff mm-hmm. yeah. into the thing. So. There you go. That's why. But it very much is a problem for the molecule-to-man evolutionist who's just uh, a materialist that's like, hey, it's all just matter doing things. Mm -hmm. At that point, they are um, watching a a docu-series away from (laughs) becoming uh, into eugenics, I think. And I, Mm. I don't think that that's... Yeah, slippery slope or a straw man argument because, yeah, why not? If there's, why not the overmen or the mm-hmm. undermen? Why why wouldn't they go there? Um, I don't know. Just a just a thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. What's your uh, your next? <laughs> no. Yeah. What else we got to talk about? Um, got so many things. There, there's so many directions we could take out of these conversations we we could we i'd feel comfortable cutting it off here i don't, I don't have anything yeah I, I don't have like a, a ton more written down so uh with that in mind what's what's the right answer matthew <laughs> how old is the earth and did we evolve did we evolve mm, that's a good question what's your answer that, <laughs> well, on a more serious note, right. you mentioned in the first episode, you're still working through a yeah, lot of this yeah. and kind of on the fence. Since it's then, do you serious. feel like you've at all landed in a more stable spot on any of it, or are you still kind of just working through it and you're I'm, not really there yet? I'm I'm still working. Okay. Sure. I, yeah. Like, I, I, I grew up in the, in the young earth circle for so, so yeah. many years um, that I, I was interested to, to even see what the, the opposition had to say, um, because I, I do, you know, have like, you know, I, I think they're good faith arguments and I think they're still Christian. So I, I was, I was interested to see what they, they had to say about it. Um, so I, yeah, I'm not, 
again, not set in stone on, on one side or the other. It's, it's as old as it is. I don't know. God, God made it a number of years ago and that's how old the, the universe is. And there, there, yeah. there you have it. And <laughs> I, I want to how about be clear you, how about you, Ryan? too. I, I do want to be clear because I have, I put it out there like in the first episode, like I do take the stance of younger earth creation theory. How young exactly? Like within a thousand years. I don't take. know. <laughs> I, I don't that that I can't give you a hard answer for. I'd say probably less than the like seven billion years or whatever that people people suggest. So um, six billion. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Only six. That extra billion. No, 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 no. Um, I'm saying that's what you believe, right? It's uh, less than seven billion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well, it, five billion to be fine. It's not um, that each day of creation was a thousand years. It was actually a, a billion, billion years. years. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I do want to be clear. I I have taken the stance of I do buy into a younger Earth creationism the Genesis account is literal stance, right? But I also want to be very clear. I do not know. Yeah. <laughs> because I could be wrong about all of this. Yeah. And if I was wrong about it, that would be fine because I, I think that this is one of those things that this is not a, a first priority issue with the church, right. right? This, whether or not you buy into young earth creationism or theistic evolution does not determine your salvation. It doesn't matter that much. Uh, as important as it may be, and as much as we should talk about it, because I think it is important, it's not that important. So I- I'm comfortable saying that that's how I feel, but if I'm wrong, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Because if God decided to evolve man from a molecule, then cool. Thanks, God. Happy you did that. Real cool. Appreciate the existence. Yeah, yeah. so that— you create you created me. Yeah, so that's my that's yeah, my little regardless. caveat there that that's how I feel, but I could be totally wrong and I'd be cool with that. Yeah. Mm. What about you, William? You gonna take a hard stance here or Um I, I'm going to say that the Genesis account matters insofar as it gives us an explanation for where sin, suffering, and death come from. Mm-hmm. Um if we read it allegorically or metaphorically, what we end up with is a story that tells us that humanity was once morally innocent and became morally culpable. And how exactly that transpired, I think, is less important. It's less important why we die or why we sin, and it is more important that we die and that we sin— and that Jesus Christ has given us a way to uh, be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect mm-hmm. and has promised us life and life eternally. So that that is uh, the the bigger thing that I think we need to focus on because yeah. I, I don't think anyone – we can debate about – the specifics. the specifics of why people die. Sure, is it is it actually because they ate the fruit or what? Well, I I don't know, man. But go stand in front of a bus and see if you die, because <laughs> you do. Like, we we don't have to debate why because we do, mm-hmm. and regardless of why, Jesus is efficacious to the contrary of that. Why, why we can live? Yeah. Um, so that that's. My thoughts, and like I said earlier, I'm I'm only like even tangentially interested in this anymore. I was raised like super hard line Ken Ham branch of uh, six thousand years old, mm-hmm. and sure, 
why not? Yeah. I think the, the important thing to take away is that the, is the narrative of, of, of scripture being creation, fall, redemption yeah. is, is critical for any Christian to, to understand and accept, uh, where God did create everything, how he did it. We can vary how he wanted to. That's how. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like humanity, like mankind, um, whether, and, and there's, I, we haven't, we didn't get into like literal Adam. I, I, I think there was a literal Adam personally, but there's, there are some people that, um, think it was like a, essentially like a collection of people. And Adam is like the, the, the figurehead of mankind. Cause he's, he's kind of talked about that way, uh, in the new Testament also, but like basically human, the fall happened. Humanity chose death. Yeah. We, we went from moral innocence, whatever that means to moral culpability, yes. whatever that means. And yeah. then, and then redemption through Christ. Um, so like it, if you got those three, yeah. the, the, a lot, like a lot of the specifics on creation and fall don't, I mean, they, they matter, but they don't, um, they're and not going to shake your faith. As- e- even if we go for like a hardline molecule to man, materialist kind of evolution, at some point there's the first guy that is fully human mm-hmm. and his mom and dad were something else. There has to be a first one somewhere or yeah. else we run into an infinite regress problem of never getting to the guy who's the first one. Yeah. So at some point... Someone was given birth to who was the first. Mm-hmm. And sure, we'll call him, uh, we'll name him Adam, because why not? Uh, yeah. Well, I think that is a good place as any to cut off and let Jesse stop working. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, Thanks, Jesse. We'll, we'll pay you like normal, and then, I don't know, we'll do something nice for you. Uh, don't... We're promising him things. <laughs> yeah, you don't deserve nice things. Well, I didn't say he doesn't deserve nice things, but I can't necessarily afford to give them to him. Um, <laughs> anyway, thank you for listening. Uh, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Share this with a friend. And if you have any questions or comments for us, would like to call us heretics for the things that we've said, you can email us at theologyish at gmail.com. There is not a hyphen in the email although there is one in the show title. Yep, be sure to check out the website, which again should be live by the time this episode is out. Yep. Uh, there should be some interesting stuff on there, as well as a contact page where you can send us an email through the website. So yeah. you can do that like, there. Short little bios about us. Yeah, leave a five-star review on Pictures Spotify. Pictures of us so that way you can see what we look like. Yeah, um, Matt, thank you so much again for your time and uh, your willingness yeah. to join us. Appreciate um, you coming on, We man. would. Love to have you back on here in the future to discuss something else, um, whatever that may be. Yeah, we'll be. I, we'll, I, I understand you're into predestination. Oh, yeah. I, I listen to your podcast. So we can it. we can dunk on you. Well, I don't know if that's the right way to approach that. Something like that. Well, sure. Yeah, I'd certainly dunk on it. <laughs> you. Yeah. But that's. I have uh, thoughts. Yeah. All right. <laughs> anyway, thank you <laughs> anyway. again. Um, If you're still listening, thanks for tuning in. Come back next week for another episode with probably just me and William this time. Probably so. And uh, that should be a good time. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. See ya.